Today, we are continuing with the Kingdom of God series. However, we are scheduled to be on chapter 3E, and we are skipping ahead to chapter 7. Uh, that was a result of a good idea Jason gave me on my deck. We're sitting on the back deck discussing this situation. I had uh, two or three times I helped another Christian ministry that with their ministry house this week. We had to get the grill for the 4th of July thing, et cetera, the 4th of July night. I had just uh, all sorts of priorities that kept me busy this week. And the, the material for Chapter 3E, I really needed more study time to do. And so uh, Chapter Jason gave me the idea, why don't you do a chapter that you can do without a lot of study time? It's, you know, it still took about four hours to put the message together, but it didn't take eight or 12 hours. So... Uh, that's why we're jumping ahead to chapter seven. Uh, hopefully you can keep all these concepts there. You know, all truth is one because we, uh, because of the Trinity that, uh, there's a father, son, Holy spirit, three persons and one being and all truth and emanates from God. So all truth is actually interrelated and hopefully we can uh, interrelate these things in our mind. Um, our theme verse is Matthew six ten. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the kingdom of God is something we are to focus on and work for as a, as a, as a people of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is the major theme of all scripture, and the kingdom of God is something that's present now. And uh, it's not primarily heaven or the age to come, but it's a bringing into this present evil age of the things to come. Now, uh, just reviewing Chapter 3D, which we finished, uh, parts 1 and 2 last week, there are two people groups in the earth, and that started with Cain and Abel and has continued through all of history. And even unto this day, there are the people who of darkness, the people who don't know the Lord, the people who have uh, deceived ideas in, uh, in every area of their life, from their economic opinions to their uh, civil government opinions to their uh, how to raise kids ideas to uh, what life's about, what you're supposed to live for, uh, and so forth. The, the people of darkness are lost. And uh, the people of God are to mediate the presence of God to bring reconciliation, redemption, and restoration to the people of darkness. Ironically, in that whole process, the people of darkness always persecute uh, the people of light, and they often are manifested through civil governments uh, and and so forth. Uh, you know, what's going on, say, in Darfur or Sudan, uh, you know, uh, dark, religions of darkness embodied in in civil governments are, are persecuting and killing Christians all over the world. This is happening in Egypt and uh, again, Darfur and, you know, Somalia, uh, Nigeria, uh, North Korea, uh, everywhere, uh, the people of this world persecute the people of, of the light. And the ideas that, that people have uh, in terms of what should be done in terms of civil government, monetary policy, and all these things are actually designed to try to hinder the people of God from doing the work of God. Uh, that's a different view of politics than you'll get from uh, many evangelicals, but uh, we're not about politics, as we're going to see today, but we are about the kingdom of God. 
And the enemy of our souls, the enemies of everyone's souls, try to use every one of these institutions to increase darkness. And as we're going to study today, we're going to look at the seven institutions that are inevitable in every, in every society. These are institutions of government, and a kingdom is a government. And no matter what society has existed in history, from the Hittites to the Sumerians to the Incas and Aztecs to modern cultures, all societies in the history of mankind have had these seven institutions. And the Bible addresses all seven of these institutions. So uh, we're going to first list them and say just a little bit about each one as we go. So I, but I need you to get a hold of, first of all, these are institutions of government. They are domains. Domain is a, is a governmental word. Kingdom is a governmental word. You are either progressively being set free to be under the kingdom of light, or you are progressively being conformed to the, the kingdom of darkness. There are two kingdoms clashing in this world, and they clash through these seven institutions. So the goal of Christianity is to understand that all seven of these came under the dominion uh, of Satan and his demons, under the world system, and under the sinful nature of man's flesh at the fall of Adam and Eve. God ultimately still is sovereign in them, and therefore he still has dominion, but these uh, institutions, when not redeemed, are willingly resisting the purposes of God. So it's our goal to proclaim the kingdom of Christ and to extend the kingdom of Christ into each of these institutions. And it's not um, unimportant the order that we list them in. Uh, you really can't be an effective Christian, frankly, if you don't have these seven institutions memorized. And if you don't regularly think when you're discipling people, when you're helping kids ministries, when you're uh, leading people to Christ, uh, when you're worshiping, when you're praying, if you don't pray according to these seven institutions, you'll be striking at nothing. You won't be shooting at any target. You won't know what God's progressive purpose is. It's important that every Christian has these memorized, more than just memorized, these have to be like what motivates you, what you think about in your prayers, what you think about in your discipling, what you think about in your marriage, what you think about in terms of how you raise your kids. So let's get into these seven inevitable institutions of government. Every society has a domain of these things. The first thing is the individual and self-government. Um, as we're going to look at, that fell when Adam and Eve fell, and individuals came under the power of darkness. And we're going to mention uh, how that works in, in a little bit more detail as we go. But in case you don't think that self-government is a government, I would suggest to you that if your mommy didn't wake you up this morning, and if she didn't help you get your clothes set out and so forth, then you grew somewhere along the line in self-government. You no longer need 
your parents to get you up in your parents' alarm clock. You no longer need your parents to get your laundry done, and you no longer need your parents to actually get dressed and get to church on time because you are growing in self-government. If nobody has to remind you to show up to class or work or whatever responsibility you're supposed to do, then you are exercising a kind of government which is called self-government. And ultimately, what the goal of Christ is to increase your your self-government under his government. Because the Bible's definition of bondage is to do whatever you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it, and why you want to do it. That's what the world calls freedom. But remember, the world is deceived. The world is in darkness. And actually, that kind of freedom so-called, put in freedom in quote, leads to an increasing bondage so that you're more and more, you thought you were free and I'm doing what I want to do and I'm going where I want to go and I have my priorities, you know, I'm saving money for my boat or whatever you want to make important. Uh, I'm trying to become famous or whatever you're working toward. And um, what happens is you become increasingly enslaved to your own lust to your own emotions, to emo- to immediacy of emotions and emotional immaturity. You might have fear problems, anger management problems, whatever kind of emotional problems you have. You might have uh, addictions to various things such as gluttony or, or uh, drugs or, or too much sleep and being lazy or, you know, you... When you do what you want to do, how you want to do it, why you want to do it, when you want to do it, you are actually deceived into thinking you're driving, that, that, that that's you that's saying I want to do it. But it's actually sin. It's actually Satan and his demons. It's actually the world system conforming you to their priorities and their image, which is an image that will destroy you. Sin is crouching at your door, and it's desirous for you, and you must master it. If you don't uh, come before God and say, Lord, I can't master sin, I can't even want to change my sin, and you and begin to enter into grace and redemption through faith, uh, that is the beginning of freedom. Because when you are free in Christ, you progressively become set apart, sanctified means set apart, uh, to do what you were in, created to do, what's most in harmony with your nature. The only really together, having it together, uh, mature uh, man in the history of the world was Jesus Christ. Every other man was a pathetic failure on so many levels. And as Jesus said, if the Son, that is Jesus, sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Your The culture's idea of freedom, this is the reason I belabor this is uh, if you got to get this at the fiber of your being, one, if you're really going to be a Christian and take up your cross and deny yourself and ask God to draw near to the throne of grace to, to become Christ-like and, and uh, make, die to self so that you might live to Christ, and two, you have no hope of ever influencing anyone for Christ unless you can understand true biblical freedom and be used of the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to that. Because the world lives in the deception that they're free, even though the nooses and the bonds and chains of wickedness are tightening around them. 
when people are, are most being destroyed, when they're most being coming captive to their appetites and to their immature emotions and uh, to all the things that are contrary to how they were created to be in the image of God, when they are most losing the image of God on our dark culture, they most think they're free. And I'll drink myself to, to death if I want to. I'm free uh, to drink myself to death or take drugs to death or blow up my job and my family by my emotional immaturities or, or whatever. That is the worst kind of slavery there is. And the message of the gospel is Jesus came to set you free. And that freedom is not undefined. You always hear people say, oh, I had this experience with God. I finally gave my life to God. And then they define it, what's called antinomian terms. It, in other words, I sense spirituality or I sense God more. But if it doesn't practically cause you to embrace Christ, to be like Christ, to have Christ's priorities, to be under the yoke of Christ. We, we love we love to leave out half of verses in our culture right now. It, I, I'm actually thinking of writing a thing on, on all the verses where they quote uh, one verse and, and they don't quote the one next to it, that, that the two are needed to get the thought. For instance, everyone loves in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, I think it's verse 28, take my yoke upon you. Or no, they don't like that part. <laughs> That's 29. They like, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Don't you hear that a lot? That's such a wonderful thought, isn't it? Come to me, all you are heavy, who are weary and heavy laden, because sin is an is a slave tyrant, just like the the Israelites were were caused to toil seven days a week and and uh, without straw or anything. You know, sin will take you farther than you intended to go. It'll make, make you pay a price higher than you wanted to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And uh, it becomes a tyrant that makes you weary. And that's a wonderful verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. But that verse will never, never, never do you an ounce of good if you don't continue the thought that Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am gentle and or humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. The rest comes from getting a different yoke, because it's the yoke of anger management problems. It's the yoke of, of being chintzy in your tithes and offerings. It's the yoke of, of not having a good work ethic and, and having a crappy attitude at your job uh, that is destroying you. It's the yoke of sin of not honoring the Lord's day by being here at uh, 8 o'clock, if Jason needs you here at 8 o'clock. Those yokes, uh, excuse-making, blame-shifting, all of it, is, it's killing you. It's keeping you from having Christ-like character. Now, in Christ-likeness is not antinomian. That is, it's not without law. You know, um, I, I was sad to see, I actually did a study yesterday, short little side study on, uh, the, on the word telos or telos. We're going to be talking about teleology when we get back to chapter 3E, creation. And it's the idea that in every, everything in its origins 
uh, also had the DNA for its destiny and completion, so to speak, spiritual DNA as well as physical. And, you know, when Adam was, was classifying the animals, he wasn't just going doggy cat. He was understanding their purpose, that is their destiny, that is their characteristics. And uh, Romans 10.4, a verse that everyone mistranslates in our culture, says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And we think that means he's the end of the law, like, okay, I'm not under law anymore. The law's over. But the Greek word is telos. He's the goal of the law. I've, only the New American Standard had goal as a side margin note. Uh, all the major translations use end. But, it's, but what end means to modern people is that it's the end of the game or the end of the movie. God, Christ is not the end of the movie or the end of the law. He's the beginning of the law. He's the purpose of the law. He's the goal of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. When Christ comes in you, you will not want to commit adultery. You will not want to steal. You will not want to lust after women. You will not want to covet your neighbor's you will be thankful and content with what God gives you. You will not want to be lazy in your work ethic. Six days you will work. You will not want to ignore a Sunday morning gatherings because that's the primary time we get together to worship the Lord and enjoy him and celebrate and remake the covenant together so that we can go out and take. That's the beginning of dominion was the resurrection and Pentecost. And we are, when we celebrate, we are beginning again to go out and conquer the world in Jesus' name. He's the goal of the law. And so when you are in Christ, you are set free to have self-government. That's just my minor points about self-government. I'm going to develop that a little bit later. <laughs> Number two, family government. Nuclear and extended. We don't do a lot with extended family in our culture. But I would suggest to you that you need to understand the idea of extended family, and especially in light of the Gospels, so that you can understand that Jesus said, I will build my church. And as a Christian, your first allegiance becomes to Christ and his family called the church. It is a wonderful blessing if you get to be in the same church as people that are in your biological family. And in fact, uh, that's so much the goal. Yesterday I attended a wonderful wedding of a young man named Joseph McNamara, and he uh, married a young lady that's a uh, total genius. She came here to translate Christian literature into uh, Indian languages. Her name is Deepika. And, uh, but, you know, Joe is a part of the same church his parents are, and I don't know if he agrees with their theology on every point or whatever. And But you know what? To not be there would be missing the point. Now, I, you know, I do believe you should go to the deepest church with the best theology and the, and the best character and the be biggest overall vision and all that kind of stuff. But if you get down to it, like if you can do that with your natural family, what a blessing. Because clearly in the Gospels, Jesus puts spiritual family above natural family. When his mothers and brothers come looking for him, the oldest brother was supposed to be home taking care of his father's business. But Jesus didn't 
because he chose to do his heavenly father's business, and he built a new family called the disciples and the, and the community of believers that was about 120 people at Pentecost. So family is important, but it's important to understand family in a biblical way. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to talking about family in detail. Religious institutions. Do you know that even secular humanist atheist people have religious institutions? All societies have religious institutions. For Christians, it's the church. For Muslims, it's a mosque. Etc. For Jews, it's a synagogue. For Buddhists, they have Buddhist temples. There's a Buddhist temple a block away, uh, former Christian church. Uh, there's, the, there's actually a growing movement called the Humanist Church. These are people who hate God and don't want anything to do with God and want to believe in evolution and all this, but they understand that people need the benefits of community. So they actually have pagan churches now. <laughs> Hitler understood this. That's why he had the Hitler Youth. That's why the communists had all kinds of programs. You know, uh, I can't wait till God gives us the right people to someday have Royal Rangers or Scouts in a, as part of our overall Kids Rock vision. Uh, because it's primarily a religious thing. It's a way of supplementing the family because many kids come from broken families and troubled families and so forth. And it's a way of teaching young men uh, how to fish and and getting how to have a sense of accomplishment and, and so forth. I don't care what the merit badges are for as long as there's something good and godly. Earning them helps a kid understand I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we, we have a, uh, the humanists in the secular schools have this idea that they brainwash teachers in when you go to, when you go to their uh, seminary called uh, Public Education College and you get a university degree in teaching, they teach you humanistic philosophy and, and psychology and say, build self-esteem in the students. But then they want you to build that on no basis other than to say to the student, feel good about yourself. Well, people feel good about themselves by having an obstacle that seems big and insurmountable and finding the grace of God and walking with Christ through a process of accomplishing it. And then they begin to develop, yeah, I can do this by the grace of God. Now, when you're young, you have more emphasis on I can do all things. As you mature in the Lord, you get more emphasis on through Christ who strengthens me. But you've got to keep both sides of that. You should regularly be uh, attempting and tackling goals in your Bible reading, especially spiritual disciplines, and from there, every other aspect of your life that take you to a different level than you thought you could go. That's, in fact, what a godly father does, is he says, you can. You know, like, I'm amazed that, you know, like when I was a kid, Every kid could hold still in church and be quiet and kneel when you're supposed to kneel and stand when you're supposed to stand and all that kind of stuff uh, by the time they were in first grade. Because that's a, it was a governmental expectation of the church and the family. 
I, I learned not to trust the nuns on everything when uh, they said, if you get really tired in church, you can, when you're, when, during the parts where you're supposed to kneel, you can lean your butt back on the pew a little bit if you're really tired. I tried that once, and the, the hand of uh, d discipline came and hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> what are you leaning on the pew for? <laughs> you know, it, we don't have the, you know what? Uh, it, re, watch the movie someday, Mr. Holland's Opus. I love when he's just, when he's kind of telling the school board, many of whom were his former students, you know, there was just more expected of us in those days. This idea of I can do what I want to do, where I want to do, how I want to do, and so forth, and accommodating that, you're, you're destroying yourself and your kids if you just accommodate that. Yokes, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a good thing. Having, you know, you know, we started off at one point with our kids having a yoke of you want some freedom, then you have to have at least all B's or better. These are a family yoke. Then we've, this, over time, that became too easy, so we raised it to 3.3, and then that became too easy, so we raised it to 3.5. If, if you want some freedom to get a car or get your license or do whatever you want to do, then stay in this yoke to prove that you're mature enough for the freedom. All right, religious institutions. Uh, believe me, even secular humanists have them. That's why they have. There's so many uh, secular holidays, like the Fourth of July. Educational systems. Every culture has it. Do you know that in Hebrew culture, the primary educator of the children was the father? Never delegate the educational responsibilities of your children to just the school. The school is a supplement. You're the primary educator, husband and wife of your children. That's why kids who grow up with their parents reading to them and they learn how to do their phonics and learn how to read by the time they're in pre-kindergarten always go way further in life. Because the kids that are starting to learn at second and third grade through remedial programs are behind the rest of their life. Teach your kid to read when she's three or he's three. Educational systems. There's public schools, private schools, home schools. Probably the, one of the few things that I'm thankful for about the direction of our culture right now, I, I think we're falling apart on every level, but at least for the time being, more choices in education are emerging with charter schools and private schools, uh, Catholic and, and Protestant private schools, homeschooling. Uh, learn, learn what's out there. If you have kids, you, you, one of your primary responsibilities is to give them a first-rate A1 education. And that's on you not on the government or the school. By the way, the government never can do things right, so don't expect that. They're not subject to the markets, free markets, and all that kind of stuff. Government things always are poorly managed, poorly run. That's just the nature of the beast. Don't expect your, that public school is going to be the primary way your kids get educated if you, if you want your kids to turn out well. If you're in a situation where you have to let your kids go to public school, then do a lot of work with them all the time, especially in their Christian education. 
I wish I could talk more about John Dewey and his humanistic vision to uh, to bring the socialism in, in the schools and, and drive Christianity out, which he has succeeded. And he's actually one of, if uh, you want to get an interesting book, it's written by a Christian, get a book called Seven Who Rule from the Grave. And it's about people whose ideas uh, conquered these seven institutions so much that their ideas are what's controlling our culture, even though they're long set and dead. And John Dewey is one of the seven he chose. Google John Dewey. Google John Dewey and a guy named Sam Weaver. Sam Weaver wrote some good articles about John Dewey. Uh, fifthly, economic organiz organizations and systems. If you don't think your job is a government that, that Christ gave you for his for your good, try showing up naked <laughs> or drunk. Sam has to get called into Arby's all the time because other people show up drunk and high and different things, and they get fired, and they call Sam and say, can you come in for this guy we just had to fire? Because they didn't exercise self-government when coming to their, their economic government. Monetary policy, I wish, uh, get a, if you don't know much about biblical views about monetary policy versus what's happening in what's called Keynesian economics and the Federal Reserve System, get a book called Honest Money by Gary North. It's a real, it's free online. And Honest Money by Gary North, just write it down. Every Christian should have read that book. Um, it'll at least introduce you to why the whole way our country does money is a bunch of empowered fat cats that run the government. They run Wall Street. You know, everybody thinks there's a choice. Obama's advisors are the same advisors as Bush's advisors, and they have the same economic policies. And they're designed to keep the middle class heading toward poverty and the poor people poor. By a policy called inflation. Inflation doesn't, we've lived with inflation for 101 years now, so we think it's just normal. It's not normal. It's, an, it's actually a corrupt governmental system destroying the, the value of money so that, so that you can't get ahead. And only the people who own the banks and own the Wall Street companies and, and own, run the government get ahead. They get ahead by robbing you. And, you, and Christians just sit back and think this isn't important. That's not very spiritual. It's very spiritual. Money is very spiritual. You want to know why money is very spiritual? Because Jesus taught over 80% of his parables from the realm of farming, business, economics. And he said that if you're not faithful with the use of unrighteous mammon, no one will entrust you with the true riches. You want, to, you want to start understanding God and his heart in the scriptures? Start tithing and giving offerings above your tithe and be very consistent in it. Pay all your bills on time and be very consistent in it. Work a budget book and a budget plan. Learn about investments and you will actually have God start get, causing you to get more out of the scriptures when you're reading them. The scripture says that in so many places, I don't have time to develop that. Luke, look in Luke 16, 10 through 12 to start. Also Proverbs and so forth. Media and social mores. Our media 
has become so prevalent that uh, what you know they say my generation was the TV generation. Uh, the the millennials are now like the whole internet, social media, and so forth. But believe me, a very high percentage of things that people believe out there today are are because what the media has brainwashed them in it. And very few Christians study enough to overcome that. Lastly, civil government. Now, these are important in order. Civil government includes things like city government, county government, in the in ancient times, fiefdoms and territories, nation states, and so forth. Civil government um, is always humanistic man's goal. He wants to increase civil government to, to save you. In other words, humanistic man thinks we can make a better world through civil government. Christian man understands the depth of man's depravity and that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Christian men want the freedom to have less government. Christian men believe that that government governs best, that governs least. They want to move government toward local and toward the church and the family and so forth. They want to take it out of the hands of bureaucrats because that is inevitably corruptible. The Republicans or Democrats, neither of them are the solution. Their laws, somebody has to pay for them, and that's called increasing taxation. Wealth distribution is a type of stealing, and it's based, socialism is based on the concept of envy. It's a, socialism breaks the 10th commandment. Socialism basically says my brother got more toys or gifts or education or talents, so I'm going to take his talents and his gifts and toys, and I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to create this new socialistic society. That's the whole point of communism and socialism. It's based on a violation of the 10th commandment. Now, uh, I'm going to hopefully get through most of this outline. Not really. I got about eight more minutes or 10 more minutes or so, but uh, we'll get far as, through as far as we can. It's important that you see that all seven of these institutions, memorize them, by the way, and especially understand that the f- Christian man, God's plan is to restore the first three as a three legged stool. Now, if you don't know geometry, three points always make a plane. Therefore, a triangle is inherently stable. Okay? If I were to tell you which one of these three was the most important, I couldn't tell you because they all influence the other. You can't take a three-legged stool and cut one leg off. It falls. But the the self-government of the Christian man or woman the church and the family are the three legs that, that society, that God works through to redeem culture. And he works out and from them to, um, to redeem the other four. And Satan and sinful man want to capture all seven of these institutions. And Christ came to restore and redeem and capture all seven of these institutions. And so there is always a war for who is going to control these seven institutions, Christ or Satan. 
the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of this world. Redeemed, discipled, mature Christian men or pagan men who are hedonist and power hungry and he, you know, abusers. Now, that's what's discussed. Uh, hopefully you know Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I taught on that all year, two years ago at, at Rock Campus Fellowship, and then Jason took us through the book of Ephesians at Rock Campus Fellowship this year. And uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says to those who had become Christians, you were dead. Before you were a Christian, you were dead. You weren't just sick, and you weren't just uh, needing a little bit of help. You were dead. As much as Lazarus was dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked following the course of this world. That's the world system and its values and its kingdom. It is the course of this world is, is fallen man organizing itself against Christ. Read Psalm 2 to understand that. Psalm 2. Should, Psalm 2, every Christian should meditate on a lot. The world takes its stand against the Lord and against his Christ. And the Lord just laughs. Uh, following the prince of the power of the air, it's interesting that most media goes through the air, and uh, the, Lucifer is the, called the prince and power of the air, Satan, the, the old dragon of old, and so forth. The spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience that has to do with our iniquity and our rebellion, and we all lived in this. And we were, by nature, children of wrath. We were carrying out our passions and our desires, and uh, like all of mankind. A Christian has been set three, free from these three insurmountable enemies. I'm going to look at them just a little bit more here. Number one, the power of sin. It's a, it, sin is not just a concept. What we do now is we pray the sinner's prayer and people have this very vague notion of sin, Oh, I, which they think I made a few miscalculated judgments. No, you have a power inside you called sin that has caused you to be a child when you're supposed to be an adult, rebellious instead of submissive, uh, lustful instead of giving, greedy, and, and all sorts of wickedness. And you cannot deliver yourself from that power. And it's a power. And it changed the soul of every unregenerate man. One of the things that in today's um, spiritual climate that we have that I have to always work on when I'm working on discipling a new Christian is to get them more fully converted to the gospel. I have, haven't had a case where that wasn't the case yet. And I say, read Romans, read Galatians, read, read Ephesians. Think about sin. Read the Ten Commandments. Read Jesus' interpretation in Matthew 5 of the Ten Commandments. Let God deepen your understanding of how sinful you are. Because blessed are the poor in spirit, the people who God has opened their eyes to see that sin is a total power that totally has you chained, and you're not basically a pretty good Christian. And you have far less maturity in Christ than you think you have, uh, and so forth. 
And when you see that, you'll understand in Romans 5.20, it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's so important to meet the real Christ. He broke, he alone broke the power of sin. There has never been a man who lived on this earth that wasn't dominated and kicked their butt kicked around and totally controlled by sin except Jesus. And when you live through his resurrected life, you can live above sin. Outside of that, you got no hope. When, I, young, when I'm working with young Christians who are just coming to Christ, they're always saying, I want to make Jesus Lord, and I want to quit doing this, and I want to do this and everything like that. Well, you've got to stop trying in and of yourself and put your hands in God's hand first and foremost. Live out of the power of his resurrection and by the power of his Holy Spirit and by the power of the, the word of God that you store up in your heart and mind as you study it. You, you don't have a hope except Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Anybody here ever commit sin? <laughs> is there anybody here who never committed sin? <laughs> you're in the wrong church. Uh, <laughs> if, you're not a, if you're not a really big sinner, you're really in the wrong church. Second uh, Peter 1 or 2, um, 19b says, for why, by what a man is overcome, by that he's enslaved. Jesus says, uh, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. There's no other freedom. So there's no room to boast in each other's flesh. You know, Christians are all, I don't want anyone to know my sins. Or not. You know what? We are all just slime bags that he chose to love anyway. There's a place in the Old Testament where he actually can... Uh, compares our fallen nature to menstrual uncleanness and menstrual rags. That's God's picture of you apart from Christ. <laughs> we're compared to feces at places. Apart from Christ, we're nothing. But in Christ, we, he freely gives us all things. We are the beloved sons and daughters of God. We, you are, in Christ, you're one of the most important people who's ever walked on this planet. Outside of Christ, you're nothing. Um, the present evil age, Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue. That word rescue is, uh, is deliver in half the translations. It's rescue in half the translations. But it, it means something that was totally his work. That he might deliver us from this present evil age. You can't overcome the world system. Most Christians think, well, I've got this sin problem stuff, but I'm not very worldly. You are very worldly. You care, you know, like uh, the sports stars in your face and brag. And, you know, uh, if you ever did the cut down thing the kids do when they're in junior high and stuff like that, what is that all about? It's, it's enmity. It's wicked. It's trying to put down, trying to put yourself up by putting someone else down. We do that in our hearts all the time. All right, so lastly, uh, uh, well, First uh, John 5, 4, I want to bring that out. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Guess, you know what? I hope you've learned to read the reverse negative now when you read Scripture. Do you know what that means? That whatever is not born of God does not overcome the world. 
if this church continues to grow the kingdom and see more of the glory of God manifest and liberate more people and more people get delivered and more people come to Christ and more people get baptized in the spirit, kids learn how to read and uh, kids, better marriages result and so forth. That's all because it was born of God. Lastly, Satan and his fallen demons, hopefully you, you know some things about that, but the, it's not popular in the, these days. Uh, you know, 1 John five nineteen says an amazing thing. He says, we know that we're of God. If you're really born again and you're really baptized in the Spirit, you should be a, actually be able to say this. We know that we're born of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Their economics, their TV shows, their governments, their view of family, it's all a mess. Um, Satan is called in Revelation 12, 9, the one that deceives the whole world. Now, uh, so today is chapter 7A1. Next week, it'll be chapter 7A2. I'll eventually get back to chapter 3, but I guess I'm going to stay on chapter 7 for a while. Next week, I'll pick, pick, pick up at point 4 there, and we're going to look at the three-legged stool of self-government of um, family government and church government in much more detail. Uh, let's be back up here by 1030. Amen.